Nobody knows what's going on when we watch the Olympics. We just turn on our TVs and become obsessed with sports we haven't thought about in four years. This is why we made the Ringer Guide to the Summer Games. I'm your host, Roger Sherman. Each day during the Tokyo Olympics, I'll tell you about a different sport, athlete, or storyline. We'll be releasing new episodes every day starting July 19th. Follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you know exactly how to watch the Olympics. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. The Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel and FanDuel Sportsbook. I was actually on FanDuel Sportsbook looking at lines for the finals, which we're about to talk about with Jackie McMullen and Sirit Sohi from The Ringer. The Bucks are four-point underdogs and plus 144 to win game five. They're plus 125 to win the finals. They, Giannis is plus 110 to win the MVP. Well, Giannis isn't winning the MVP unless the Bucks win the finals. So cross that off. You're not getting good odds on the plus 110. Um, I don't feel like the Bucs are winning game seven in Phoenix. I'd be really shocked if Milwaukee lost game five and then won game six and then won game seven in Phoenix. My point is, if you think the Bucs are going to win this series, I would take them at plus 144 in game five. And maybe you can get a little ambitious. Maybe day of the game, maybe you decide not only are the Bucs going to win plus 144, but I think Giannis is going to score over 30 points. You can do a little same-game parlay on FanDuel as well. So a lot of stuff. They have great odds. Check it out. FanDuel, the sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where we announced Gene Roger, new series coming out from The Ringer Podcast Network. It is a narrative podcast about Gene Siskel, and Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert, who is the star of the rewatchables. We always read his review of whatever movie we're doing. Speaking of the rewatchables, we're doing Fight Club on Monday. So stay tuned for that. That will be the 197th rewatchable. We are getting very, very close to 
our 200th movie. The reason we're doing that next week is because our first documentary from our Music Box series, which I'm an executive producer of and is coming from Ringer Films, we're doing six music documentaries for HBO. They are premiering um, later this year, but we're doing a sneak preview of one because it is the 22nd anniversary of Woodstock 99, which um, was uh, a tumultuous weekend to say the least. This documentary we're doing, it premieres on HBO and on HBO Max. It's going to be on HBO on Friday night, July 23rd, and it's going to premiere on HBO Max that same day. We are really proud of it. It's directed by Garrett Price. It's excellent. So carve that out. Hopefully, um, if you bet the bucks in six and the finals will end and you can move right into Woodstock 99, or you, if, it, if we go seven and the finals is uh, on Thursday night, Finish that. I think at midnight, maybe the doc's available on HBO Max. You can cap it off on a little Woodstock 99. So anyway, wanted to put that on your radar. Coming up, Jackie McMullen, Sarah Sohi. They're going to be on together. Before we do that, let's bring in our friends for Pearl Jam. All right, Jackie and Sarah are here. We're taping this a little after three o'clock Pacific time on Thursday. Bizarre finals. There is no flow to this at all. We have a game. We wait three days. We overreact to every narrative. Then another game happens. We overreact the other other way. And uh, we're just going from there. Jackie, biggest overreaction that you actually believe in after four games? Something's wrong with Chris Paul. I think that hand is problem. You know, there are certain things I expect out of Chris Paul all the time, whether he's having a good game or a bad game. And one of them is to at least get to the free throw line, which he did not do in game four. Zero for zero. Uh, the turnover, if you watch it slowly, tried to watch it a bunch of times, that crossover to him, he could do that in his sleep. He can do it backwards and upside down. I think there's something wrong. I think that's something wrong. I think there's something wrong with Chris Paul physically. Now, he'll never say that. He's a gamer. And plus, we know that Chris Paul's history is all about injury. So it's the last thing he or anybody else wants to talk about. I just think something's up with him. I, I want to give Drew Holiday a ton of credit, okay? Because that's got something to do with it, too. I just think something's up with him. Sarah, we, Russell and I had the same reaction coming out of last night's game. It was like, would, Oh, did you? Well, no, just like, what's wrong? And then it's become a narrative today. People have been honing in on different videos and plays and like, oh, this is what, what, what do you think, Sarah? Yeah. I mean, he has that, he has those torn ligaments in his left hand. And I just, I just think Drew Holiday is the absolute worst person to have guarding you when you have any sort of injury at all, especially if you're Chris Paul, he's got some, he's got some length on you. Yeah. It's just, and the Bucks in general as well, uh, they just make things so physical. So basically, like the Suns have had players that weren't injured that have that have gone down, right? Um, they've gotten back up for the most part. Tory Craig, uh, Cam Johnson yesterday, uh, and obviously Dario Sarge getting hurt. But honestly, just if you're Chris Paul and you have to, you have to be guarded full court by Drew Holiday, yeah, by game four, it's going to wear on you. You might be able to do it in game game one and two and, you know, get him on your back and take advantage of him being so aggressive. But at the end of the day, like, it's just, it's just very difficult when he's the guy that's going up against you. So I think this is like, 
a little bit predictable. I know we don't like to predict injuries, right? Uh, but we've heard this all the time about Chris Paul, smaller point guard. Uh, the wear that you have to take if you're him is just really tough. And this is the worst team to run into, honestly. It just it's, it's just kind of, it's a perfect storm. Yeah, it feels like people... First of all, pretty rare for the home team to win the first four finals games. I think it's only happened four times in the last 40 years right. or something. It's not a thing that happens often. I think people just assume, oh, it'll go back to Phoenix for game five. Their young guys will be better at home. Milwaukee, guys like Connaughton maybe don't show up on the road and it'll flip and Phoenix will take care of business. I was looking at the shot charts because I think the yeah. shot charts sometimes can be fun, right? And I was looking at the first two games versus the last game. And there was one thing that really, really stood out. And I think it's partly Chris Paul and I think it's partly Milwaukee just studying the tape and realizing what take away. There's no corner threes for Phoenix corner in threes. game four. I knew you were going to say they're, it. They're gone. 100%. And if you look at the shot chart in game two, they have at least 12 on both sides in the corners and a ton. There's a ton of attempts. It's almost hard to tell because you can look, if you go on ESPN, if you go on their game cast feed, it has the shot charts. Right. You go to game four, there's nothing. I mean, there's like three attempts and all of the shots are on in the middle of the court and it's all a lot of mid-range stuff, which Booker was making last night. But to me, this looks like a series now where Milwaukee has figured out, all right, here's what we want Phoenix to do. And Phoenix did it actually pretty well until Booker got into foul trouble. But um, I feel like they stumbled on something. Jackie, am I, what do you think? What do yeah, you think of that theory? Yeah, you stole yeah, 100% stole my thunder. Absolutely. Those corner threes, when I was watching it live, I'm like, Everybody knows that's the easiest shot. Like, we can maybe even hit that corner three. Why are they giving it to him? And so, and, and I think so much of it, we, we're talking about Drew Holiday's defense, as we should, but so much of it has to do with everybody else, too. Because Drew Holiday's guarding Chris Paul, but there's always somebody shading, hedging, pulling back, blocking off all these areas you're talking about. And, you know, I know everybody thought the play of the game, because it was so spectacular, was that block of Giannis. But to me, what you just said, the biggest play of the game in my mind was Devin Booker picking up his fifth foul with 11 minutes to go in the game mm. because I start, I started charting after that. They were outscored the Suns 30 to 18 after he went out. Mm. They did not, if, if I'm not mistaken, I do not believe they hit another three pointer the rest of the game. So if you've got a Chris Paul, that's less than hundred percent and Devin Booker in foul trouble. And, and he's one of those, you know, some people when they're in foul trouble, they don't play any differently. Like Jimmy Butler, it doesn't matter if he has one foul or five fouls, he plays the same. I don't think Devin Booker is one of those guys. So I went back and looked what he did after that. He was two for six for the floor for four points after he got his fifth foul. And as we know, he got his sixth foul and his seventh foul in the same play. They just didn't call it. So I just thought that was, that was a huge turning point. And, and you know, to say Phoenix is in trouble, well, maybe, but I'm not counting Chris Paul out yet. I'm not certainly not counting Monty Williams out and the adjustments he'll make going forward. And Chris Middleton is such a funny player, right? Because you look at him, you're like, well, he doesn't shoot the ball well, but his clutch shooting stats are off the charts, not just in this game, but pretty much throughout the postseason. So maybe we don't give him enough credit either. Yeah, I think to win a game on the road, what do you think? How many guys do you need, Sarah, to actually show up? Four? You need four guys oh, to like, on the road? To legit show up. Yeah, they're going to need four guys who are making shots, I feel like. And so that means it's either you have to have Middleton, you have to have some of Drew, you have to have some of Giannis. I need probably Lopez 
And then I need somebody else to at least make a couple threes, which might be Connaughton. Connaughton, but, yeah. But that that's one way. The other way would be if it's just a really ugly game. If it's like a 92 to 90, you figured out us, we figured out you, and this is going to be a rock fight, which I actually really think would benefit Milwaukee. Where do you think out of those two scenarios, what's more realistic? I think I think the other thing they can do is uh, is go to Lopez a little bit more too. I mean, we've I think it's something that a lot of people have talked about, especially since they went to him after Giannis went down. But this is kind of a series that's tailor made for them to keep just pressing on uh, on 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 the front court there. Pressure because, points, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're getting, I mean, they're getting pressure points is the perfect way to put it because, I mean, the Giannis wall. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of like a Giannis piece of cardboard, really. It's not really a wall, uh, and it, it's it's getting closer to to going down every day. Like you've kind of seen a few of those guys, they've they've taken their hits, and it's getting tougher and tougher. So, you know, for me, I just think bring Lopez off the bench even at this point, or if you don't want to like make that big of an adjustment um, after after a win, maybe do what you did in game one, where or game four, where they took him out pretty much. I think at the seven minute mark, he wasn't having a great game, but he was taking a bunch of threes, uh, which I get is that it's what he does. It's what I hate he's been it. doing. It's it, it's you can use him for other things. You can use him for other things. He can do both, uh, especially with the second unit. Like you need a guy to show up at home. You said you're not going to be guaranteed to get Middleton to show up. Drew's been obviously very shaky on offense, um, and Brooke just feels like a guy that if you set him up right, I'm not going to say he's going to be a sure thing, uh, but he's been in this league for a long time. He's not going to be scared. And if you get him going against some of the smaller guys, like he's really strong and he has really great touch. He can just shoot hooks over everybody in the second quarter if if uh, if, if they end up beating that offense. I think that's something they should do. Uh, but I think to your question, though, probably more likely to get a hot Connington game than to get an ugly Bucks game on the um, at home. I think I think the Suns can kind of go back to playing the beautiful game mm. if they're at home. Yeah, and the only thing about Lopez is if you put Lopez out there, I'm hunting him down. I'm hunting him down on mismatches. and I'm going to make you pay for that if I'm the Suns. That's that's the one thing. But I will that's say That's why this. I like bringing him off the bench, though, because yeah, I, some I of those minutes... That either. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the other thing, though, that Lopez does for you, and it's what's happening in this series, too, all of a sudden, obvi- it's stating the obvious are the second champ points. I mean, they're just overwhelming. It's just... My my son, I watched the game with him the last game, and all he did was scream at the TV, well, somebody, anybody, box out. And he wasn't even rooting for the Suns. He's just rooting for someone to make a simple, traditional, basic basketball play on the defensive end of the floor, which is like, when did boxing out become a lost art, for God's sakes? But that's what's happening, too. Yeah, the Suns had a lot of unforced stuff. Like, they were getting beaten off of of their missed shots. But they also weren't getting any second chance points either. And if you're not getting either of those, not great. And then the, the, how hard it was for them to score as soon as Booker was in any sort of foul trouble stuff. I just feel, I just, I'm now ascending 35,000 feet above this series. And if you're going to tell me Chris Paul is actually hurt, I don't think Phoenix is good enough to win the NBA title with an injured Chris Paul. Now they only have to win two of the next three. But when you think like they only have a seven-man team at this point, seven and a half if you include Torrey Craig, but it's right. not like he's going to give them anything. It just seems like such a tall task when on top of it, from what we've seen from Giannis, where uh, Russell and I talked about it last night, where he basically plays these three games in a row that are all awesome for different reasons. Last night was his Larry Bird 
Jackie, you're covering him way back when the the Larry doesn't have his outside shot, so he's going to go down and get yeah. 21 rebounds and just bang some bodies and get to the free just throw line 14 you. times. Yeah. And that's kind of what Giannis did. He's like, I don't totally have it tonight. I'm a little tired, but I'm going to set up other guys. I'm going to crash the boards. I'm going to play really good defense. I'm going to try to get 15 rebounds. And it to me, it was like weirdly his greatest performance of the three games because I didn't feel like he had it. What did you think? Well, the other thing is, the one thing you didn't mention is the eight assists. You know, I remember when Bud first took over as the Bucks coach. I said to him, you know, I was just shooting the breeze with him. I wasn't interviewing. I'm just like, what's the, what's like the most surprising thing about Giannis? He said, I had no idea for a guy who hasn't played very much basketball, how good his court vision is, how well he can see passing lanes. You know, I don't have to tell him about double teams approaching and when to get rid of the ball, how he can see, you know, he's, can you remember some of the cross court, no look passes he's made to that corner that we were just talking about for the corner three. And that's the thing that Bud, you know, his first instinct, that was what surprised him the most. And ever since Bud said that, I watched Giannis exactly for that. He had eight assists last night. And, you know, I remember early on in the playoffs, not even this series, all the pundits, a lot of guys are a lot smarter than me and have played the game more than at a higher level than me, kept saying, he's too limited. He's too limited a superstar. He, you know, this wall is going to work. There's only so much can do. He can't shoot free throws. I just think that's selling him short because of your point. There's many other ways he can affect change on the floor. I, you know, at one point in the game last night, I'm thinking, Giannis, man, you better step it up. You haven't scored enough. Your team can't win if you don't score more. And I was wrong. Right. Well, and yeah, I, I always would compare him to Shaq where he would, that last four minutes of the game was always going to yeah. be the issue with him. But I do feel like he's figured out some stuff the last couple of rounds, how to not totally be a liability in those last four minutes offensively because of the free throw shooting and the fact that he can't shoot from the outside. Mm-hmm. I've been really impressed. I, my ceiling for him just in my head, as I think of him against the other great players and all that, I've definitely raised it a couple of levels. What about you, Sarah? Yeah, I think I think he's kind of what he's done this season is he's just kind of proven that there's other ways for him to win. And he's figured out how to consistently do that. Like there used to be stretches. And now these last few games, I just feel like there's a consistent aggression that you see from him and he knows exactly where to be. He knows who he can attack. Yeah. Uh, ga- game three, just yeah. him being able to get Aiton into foul trouble. Uh, and then. Aiton was better better uh, in game four, but one of the first fouls he picked up was just Giannis getting into his body. And that's something that's actually like pretty difficult to do against Aiton because like that's that's just like how he doesn't foul. It's, and it's how he defends, right? That's why he doesn't block a lot of shots. That's why everyone's like, hey, why is Drew Holiday missing all these layups? It's like, well, because Aiton's kind of there. Mm. And him kind of being there is how he plays defense. So at first, and I think that's still going to be, it's still going to be tough for Giannis. He's eight. Aiton's pretty good at making him miss layups, uh, but he just keeps going. And there's a lot of times where that just turns into something else good that happens, like whether it's an offensive rebound or like he's had a couple just like passing the ball back and forth with Pat Connington or 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 with Portis or somebody else where he's just kind of like taking the old coach's approach of like just get the ball near the rim and something good will happen. And that's just like that's a credit to the Bucks too, because they put a lot of pieces around him to to allow that to happen like guys that box out really well like pj tucker or or brooke lopez um so yeah i think he's also just like going back to the block he's figured out how to impact games defensively at that like prime Kawhi level yeah where even though he might not be scoring that much he can find a way to control a game defensively like he had 
after after the block, which was obviously um, an incredible feat, and also like I think pretty symbolic of the series, and that like this is a pick and roll series, and if you can solve it that way, like then you're gonna be okay. Uh, but I, then then he had the uh, the steal on on Chris Paul on the play after that. And in between, there were two offensive rebounds that the Bucks got. And that's how they're, they're winning this series. And honestly, I got to eat crow. Like, I, for one, am shocked. I thought, we talked before, before the series, before the playoffs even started. My whole thing was like, look, this is a skill league now. Like, it's just, you're not going to get by with Drew Holiday's touch. You're not going to, I mean, I, I probably should have given a little bit more credit to, to Middleton. But the Bucks have really kind of met this moment of, of really just, crazy attrition and guys falling apart and you know being able to get through not not making your shots it's it's really interesting to see it's like it kind of changes some of the some of the conversations we were having before about the demise of defense yeah I was thinking about the Giannis basketball IQ piece of this and how I think we overlooked the fact that you know, he, he hasn't had a ton of experience. It's not like a situation where Durant from age six is just playing in whatever the best DC six-year-old game is. And from that point on, he's just playing against the best people and he's in all these diff- different type of basketball situations. I think Giannis is still young as an actual basketball player in basketball situations. The My favorite play that he made other than the block last night was Booker, the sixth foul, the famous sixth foul that thankfully we're not talking about today is like, oh my God, the Suns right. won because of that play. Um, Giannis never quit on the play. I think a lot of guys, their instinct would just be to stop when so, when there's such an obvious foul like that. But the fact that he came in and got that rebound, I thought was really impressive. Yeah. But we yeah. taped, Russell and I taped right after the game yesterday. So I watched the block in real time. It was amazing. I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't seeing the slow motion stuff. And right. We knew it was a great play, but it didn't really until I was really going through after we had finished and thinking like, holy shit, that was actually like one of the defining plays in the finals, period. They were both. Both of them were up here. Like if you look at the area, those guys were so far off the ground. The camera work for everybody on that play was amazing. But, you know, the funny thing about Giannis is you talk about being young basketball. I mean, he's an infant in many ways. Kevin Durant was playing at six was playing with 10 year olds. Yeah. Right? You know, Giannis was playing with his brothers in the backyard in Greece somewhere where there probably wasn't even a net, you know? So I just, uh, I, you got to give Bud credit to there. There, If you talk about, we always talk about pressure and how athletes handle pressure. You, you can't tell me there was 40, 50, 60, 70 times more pressure on the Milwaukee Bucks, their coach, their GM, and their players, and there was the Phoenix Suns who have been playing with house money since January, you know? So right. give him credit. Yeah, Giannis credit. didn't start playing basketball until he was 13 years old, and he was playing it in, in Sepolia in, in gyms that didn't, you know, that weren't heated, that didn't have, like, the state-of-art things that, that players get in the U.S. And he also, on top of that, grew a ton like if you look at some of if you go back and look at some of like the touch and the footwork that he was developing a lot of it has gone away and I suspect that a lot of that just has to do with the fact that the guy has put on I think like upwards of 50 pounds and grown five inches since being in the NBA he has an all new body while he's doing all of this and like it kind of it reminds me I was looking I was reading old features about him and uh the guy who taught who, who got him to play basketball um he gave him a book by Maradona after uh, after Giannis quit, 
like a bunch of times and he read that book and he kind of just realized like all of the sort of cliche but very true things about success and failure and like how you have to go through all these plateaus and you know if you if you quit you're never gonna make it and all that stuff um he's really carried that he's carried that like pretty much like since that moment it feels like it's just it's so impressive when you see him you know like get fouled intentionally and then just go go out and do it again like he doesn't care he's getting so much attention for being at the free throw line there has not been a player that has gotten this much attention for for dead ball time ever i think um shack well since 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 ben simmons (laughs) yeah fair (laughs) enough but not on this stage i thought thought you guys were gonna give me a history lesson right now and then all you had to do was go back like a month (laughs) no you know what's funny though sarah it is generational because the first guy was wilt and it was a big storyline yeah. of Wilt's whole world. And then I I don't really remember it happening in the 70s, 80s. I think it feels like Shaq was the next guy where it was just story after story being written about it, him having coach, Rick Barry wanting to work with him Underhand. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah all that yeah. stuff. So it's like in every 30 years. I want to keep talking about Giannis, but we got to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. Coming back on Giannis. So if we feel like he's gaining basketball intelligence, and I mean that in the sense of like, if you almost think of a player like a robot and they're just assembling data in their brain and they're you think they're a superior athlete, the, like the, the true greats, they're adding stuff and, you know, this can happen for real people, right? Like, I think like writers peak when they're probably in their mid to late thirties. That's when you really figure out like, and I, it just stuff makes more sense. Sarah, you got a way to go. Um, God, I was like getting depressed. <laughs> and you're great does that already. Mean I'm like, does no. that mean I'm like 30 years past my peak? I'm, I'm like, telling you. I'm getting no. depressed, man. No, but like you hit, you hit a stage. Jackie, your tools are well varnished. <laughs> but Jackie, you know what I mean? You hit a stage where no, you I go do. back and you look at your old stuff and you're like, oh man, I can't believe, oh, God. I, I can't believe yeah, I wrote that's... that lead paragraph. What was I doing? And, and the time you thought it was awesome. But I wonder like with basketball players, you assemble information and you're getting better and better. And I guess my point is like with Giannis and the ceiling piece of this, I kind of thought he was a finished product. I just thought he was like a 29 and 12. This is who he is. He was going to be frustrated at the end of the game. So he wasn't going to be able to shoot. But now I'm wondering, is there like real greatness in here? Is this like the stuff that happened over the last month? Are we kind of entering this new vortex with him? And, and like, if you're starting a franchise right now, I wouldn't have picked him first. But from what I've seen this last month, now I'm thinking like, this might be the guy I would want for the next five years over anybody. What do you think of that? I do think there's some inherent limitations and, and I, and maybe I, I think that because of the free throw shooting, which is maybe fair, maybe not, not sure. Uh, I do wonder about, and, and I, we can talk about this forever. And this is a, a, a history lesson, I guess I've interviewed so many big men and they all talk about having the size of their hands and how much it really alters what they can do. 
Mm. And so I wonder if he's one of those guys. I don't know the answer. Uh, I think he who are other guys really like that? Well, actually, Dwight Howard. Don't laugh, Dwight Howard. I I did a story on Dwight Howard once, and I watched him in the gym. I was waiting for him, and he was shooting after practice, and he was shooting perimeter shots all over the place. And I'm like, why don't you shoot those in a game? He's like, I'm afraid I'm going to miss him. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he said, because I have to get it lined up just right. Otherwise, my hand's too big. I remember him telling me that. Now, Shaq used to say that. So Shaq cl claims the reason he was a bad free throw shooter is because he fell out of a tree and he broke both his wrists. That happened. Who knows if that's why? He talks about the extension. But it, you, have you, you've seen how big Shaq's hands are. I think sometimes it's just hard to get the right feel on the ball if your hands are big. I don't know. I'm just well, saying. I think like Julius Serving was another one, right? Because even though his yeah. hands were the biggest reason he was so great, because he the ball yeah. was like a grapefruit in his yeah. hand. But he also right. wasn't a reliable outside shooter. Everybody would just play off him and hope he missed. Right. Now, Kawhi Leonard has huge hands, right? Kawhi Leonard breaks this mold. Yeah, but he's an, Kawhi's he an alien, though. You can't compare him to humans. He is. Uh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I, don't Fair know enough. If he, I don't know if he came from Earth. <laughs> what, yeah. Sarah, what are your big hand theories? I've, I, I've actually, this is, this is perfect. I'm actually working on an article about this. So, um, you are not, are you serious? My theory. Yeah. With about Giannis specifically. So with my theory oh, okay. with Giannis okay. with about, uh, it's generally about his growth physically. Um, uh, but if you look at the way his elbows poke out now, right? So you hold a basketball like this, the way I was taught to shoot a basketball is like, you put your thumbs in a way that they're like a T basically, right? Like your guide hand at your, at your left yeah. side. And essentially Giannis's hands have gotten so big that there is just no space for him to, like, actually hold a basketball. Um, and that's why I think you see, like, the elbow come out. So if you hold a ball and it's that's too so big for you, your elbow is naturally going to, like, if you want to spread out your hands, your, your elbow is naturally going to come out a little bit. Right. Um, that said, I do think that there is a little bit of just maybe, like, the soft biggest bigotry of low expectations going on with big men in shooting. Like, these are problems, but they're problems that increasingly, like, there are ways to solve them. But yeah, it's essentially with Giannis, it's the same question to me. It's just about how much he can improve his touch. He has a bunch of things that like stereotypically are very difficult to come back from, whether it's like the late start, um, just his height, his hand size, all of the growth he's had. Uh, but at the same time, like you can see that stuff as an advantage too, if there's a solution, uh, because so. that, that just shows you his baseline is so low. So it kind of, you know, shooting is, do you know, it's like, it's a very difficult code to crack. Uh, but it might be possible for, for somebody like Giannis, especially like how hard he works. Uh, it might be possible. So Sierra, when you're doing this, these, this research on Giannis and you went, you said you mentioned some of the earlier clips you went back and looked at, did you find this theme? I mean, I remember very early on bill. I I'm sure you remember this too. One of the knocks on Giannis, which seems laughable now was, did he really have a good motor? I mean, that's pretty funny when you think about it now. Because his motor, to me, is like one of his greatest assets. But I remember very, very, very early when he first came into the league, people were wondering, yeah, but does he really work hard enough? Does he play hard every minute of every game? And I wondered if you came across that when you were going through your research. Really? No, I didn't catch anything like that. But honestly, like I wasn't I, I was looking more at, you know, videos and stuff of him shooting yeah. than I was reading old stories. Um, sure. Yeah, no, what I found was just, I mean, his touch. Anybody can go back and watch it. His uh his shooting was just way better. 
at least like at least in terms of how it looked. Um, mm-hmm. The concerning thing is it stayed the exact same pretty much for his entire career and not just like from the three point line. Obviously, the free throw line has gotten worse. But like if you kind of look at his shot chart from literally everywhere other than the rim, it's either stagnated or gotten worse. And it's all kind of in like the low 30 area, which is strangely tenable in the NBA finals <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, I remember that draft because I did that draft. So we had to do all the research. He was only six, nine. Anyone who yeah. you can't give anyone shit for missing on Giannis in that draft because nobody knew that he no, was no, going to no. grow three inches no, no, and no. become this monster. The the comparison was like, all right, what is this? Is this you're just watching these dumb clips of him and these gyms? You don't even know who he's playing against. But you're like, all right, this is a six, nine athlete who seems really fluid. Is this Tracy McGrady? Is this like shorter Kevin Durant? Nobody was thinking of him as a dominant big man. It was all in your head. It's like Ford, which is back to Sirit's point of like his shooting did look a little, little better. He wasn't the freak that yeah. he would become. I think what he's figured out, there's there a regular season version of how he plays where he's shooting more threes. He's trying to make it easier for himself. Right. But then in the playoffs, when the, your bread's getting buttered and your team really needs shit to happen, he's just better around the rim. And his yeah. stop start, his second jump ability, which I forget who coined that as a noun, but it's a good noun, but just his ability to just be around the rim quickly, which peaked with the eight and black. Um, that's, that's, that's where ultimately like he's truly great. And that was not there. And in the 2014 draft, there was no sign that he was going to become that guy, you know, he's literally twice the size now. Yeah. Right. And I think his first season also, that was not you didn't see it either. His first season in the league, you know, and I'm not. So, Jackie, why did people think that? I don't know. I think I maybe it was because um, maybe he was just tentative. You know, like if you're a new player, I mean, I remember Joel Embiid talking to me about playing, you know, he, he, Luke Balamute, his his fellow Cameroonian is the one that got him to go to this camp and he was playing at it. And he's looking at all these players around him and he's like, I don't belong here. So rather than screw up, I'm just not going to do anything to draw attention to myself. Does that make sense? So, so much of this game, we forget these guys are, they're world-class superstars, but they have issues with confidence. I mean, Ben Simmons, again, is exhibit A. I think players lose confidence or gain confidence depending on what's going on in their trajectory. And, you know, Giannis so early on, uh, you know, Jason Kidd, by all accounts, did some good work with him, spent some time with him, got him, got his confidence, got him, you know, so I, I just find it interesting. Like, not every guy comes into the league like, uh, well, Pascal Siakam to me is always the example, whose motor is just on, on, on. And then when he gets tired, you know, after a couple of years of that and your team is faltering and you're not playing for the championship and now all of a sudden everyone's like, what happened to him? His motor's broken, you know? It's kind of a tricky, it's a tricky way to go through the league to have that to be your biggest asset. I got to say, like, I lo- I always enjoyed Giannis, but I never like truly basketball loved him, right? I just had oh, gained yeah. so much respect for that dude really since game five of the Brooklyn series, right? Where you, th- where you feel like they lose this game. It, it, Coach Bud's going to get fired. Um, yeah. The whole Giannis narrative of just like, he's a Robin, not a Batman. All that shit starts. And maybe he should have been a free agent. He could have signed with Luca. Luca could have carried him, all that stuff. And the way he's responded to all that the amount of pressure that he's had on him, which we've seen a lot of guys fold from over the years, especially 100%. once we get to this stage, we've seen guys crater. We've seen great, great, like 
Magic, who I think is the fifth best player ever, like he fell apart in the 1984 finals, like literally fell apart to the point where we're like, does this guy, what happened to this guy? And the fact that Giannis uh, not only fought through that, but then got injured and came back the way he did and was playing hurt and all the stuff he's navigated. I'm just wildly impressed. Like, I really hope that if Milwaukee ends up winning the title and then it's great for Mirren's book, obviously that would be the other, other benefit for us, but, um, okay. cause we love Mirren, but, um, but I just think it's such a great story. This kid from, you know, this kid from Greece who comes in, who grows three inches and then we kind of decide what he is. And then he's like, no, I'm actually not that I'm actually a little better than that. There's not a lot of other examples of this in the history of the league of a guy going up a level when you kind of thought you had figured him out. You know? yeah, how lucky but, we are that there will be a detailed telling of that story coming out very yeah. soon. Way to go, Mirren. Good <laughs> job. All right. All right. But, well, yeah, I'm excited to read that. Other example of late of late bloomer super duper stars that you can think of? Because he was already a superstar. He won two MVPs. But there's something, there's another level that he went to that I did not well, expect. Well, the stuff that impresses me the most is, uh, I forget which game it was, where they're showing him during a timeout and he's imploring his team on the sidelines, like, come on. Yeah. Like he's been, he's been a leader in every sense of the word. And today's superstars think about the greatest players. They, I don't know. They're, they're not like him. He keeps it all in house. You know, if he, if he has disappointments with his teammates, we never know about it. It's not leaked. It's not sourced. We never hear about it. All we hear about him, like him building up Drew Holiday before this last game, like he is all, he's everything you would want in a leader, at least so far, you know, people through the years change and all that. But that's the thing that sticks out with me is that he he has that locker room and it's really important that that's the case. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll go back to Joel and the crushing disappointment again for him and the Sixers and that post game press conference and you know, the tire marks are still on Ben Simmons, you know? Yeah. And and I just don't see Giannis doing that kind of thing. And I think it's really uh, to his credit. I really do. And and I just, when you talk to his teammates, even before this year, before that, when they were losing, because that's really when you find out, his teammates were like, it's not him, man. It's us. We'll figure this out. We're, we'll figure it out for him. Like, he's he's the best thing that ever happened to any of us. So that's, a, that's he, the same thing that people yeah. say about Steph, too. Like, that's what Iguodala would right. say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, a hundred percent. Yeah, Steph Draymond. He, you know, he he's the Draymond whisperer, right? You know, and and yeah. That's well, you know what else? Between... You know what else we saw that with Giannis, and he didn't get credit for it because he didn't want it. But last year in the bubble, yeah. when uh, one of his teammates didn't want to play, and then Giannis was like, "None of us are playing," and the Bucks, that was it. But it was Giannis was right. the guy that pushed that to another level and really got everything going. But that was when. When I heard that story, I was like, oh, he's actually like really the leader of the team. I didn't know because sometimes these teams can have like the best player as the quote unquote leader, but they're not really, you know, they're not. They're just no. the best player. Well, we know that with the Nets, right? We know that the leader of that team, as crazy as it sounds, was actually James Harden, right? As <laughs> right. crazy as that sounds, because that does sound a little crazy based on what happened at the end in Houston. But yep. your point is a good one. George, you know, George Hill was the one that was distraught over that. Giannis... And, and the other thing about that that I liked, Giannis said, yeah, yeah, if you're not playing, we're not playing. We support you. Sterling Brown was involved. Those were the guys that really were vocal in that meeting. But the thing about that that was so cool to me, it's almost like someone forgot to tell them NBA protocol. They didn't tell their owner. They didn't tell the league office. They just said, hey, here's, and you know, LeBron, they, they didn't tell LeBron. They didn't tell anybody, man. They're like, we are voting as a team. 
not to play in this game and you all can do whatever you're going to do next. And right. I thought that was the coolest part about it. That's actually very on brand for a Giannis led team to just make yeah. a decision and then radio silence. Yeah. Uh, have you guys have you guys been watching the uh, the press conferences with Giannis after the game? No. What, yeah. what are they like? He's he's incredible. First of all, he just you can tell that he is not like recovered from the adrenaline rush of the game itself. He's super amped up. Um, he's also just like he goes out of his way to really try to explain what 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 he's asked. Um, you should watch. You should watch yesterday. It was actually like it was he was in his bag. He had all the kind of different Giannis things that you like in a like in a press conference. He started it off by just being asked by, about the lob and he spent like a good 2 minutes explaining like he said he didn't like he didn't see it actually being a lob that he was going to, you know, trying to just get to the other side of the rim and he kind of explains all of his thought process on that. Uh, and what he said about Middleton. So sometimes like he'll just like have these moments where he'll just like get really deep and stoic and like then he'll just like say something really serious. So this is like what he said about Middleton. And this is, I'm, par I'm paraphrasing. I had it down on my notes yesterday. Uh, but somebody asked him about like when he wanted to play, like when he knew he wanted to play with Middleton. And he said it was the playoffs against Toronto. We were back at home. He wasn't feeling great, but he played the game and he gave, gave everything for the team, for us. And I realized this is the guy I want to be aligned with, that I want to go through the journey with. That's the dude. That's the dude I want to build a legacy with, and just be with him, be a part of his own journey. He can be a part of my journey, and we, and do this together. Wow. And like he has had moments like that throughout the playoffs. Like that's just one from yesterday. But the way that he talks about his teammates, like the reverence he has for them, is is incredible. And he's also just like, like he's relentlessly positive. You can't fuck with him. Yeah. Like you just can't. Yeah. Like the guy, the guy has an entire arena you know, yelling at him, counting, counting down the free throws. And he's just like, yeah, I got to just try to find a way to make it fun. And he's right. That is the attitude you should have. But like, that is so much more easier said than, than done. It's just like, it's just incredible. It's like, I don't know. He's like, I mean, no, nobody is invincible uh, emotionally, but he's like, I don't know. He's special. Like the leadership and the pressure together. It's just, it's, it's super, I don't know. It's inspiring. I wonder how much and of that different. has to do with that he's not the conventional American superstar on social media all the time, always aware of what everyone is saying and always just yep. kind of receiving information constantly. It seems like he's like out of the 1970s or something. Yeah, well, he obviously that's why he's, differently, right? Yeah. Like in, yeah. In, a, in, a lot of, in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, but, but so did Joel Embiid, right? So mm -hmm. Joel Embiid grew up in Cameroon. And then he did go to high school in Florida, I guess, and um, did end up playing a year at Kansas. But, but like Joel Embiid, does anybody um, dominate? Also, well, I guess he doesn't so much anymore. But you know what I mean? Like Joel, he came from a different place too. I think it's more just the individual personality of Giannis. I really do. Yeah, that's true. But I also, I also think that there's like, there's kind of something to when like you know, your personality kind of comes out a different way um, when you move to a different country too. And like the kind of different tools that you have to navigate that. Like with, with Embiid, I think the thing that was like, that makes him kind of like the ultimate immigrant story is that he is just like the master imitator of all things. Like he can just, he he obviously picked up on the language really quickly, but like the thing that he he did, which like I know from like people around me is very difficult to do is actually like picking up like the humor, um, being yeah, able to like yeah. be sarcastic immediately, being able to troll. Um, and then like, and then with Joel, like that's the same, kind of the same thing on the court too, right? Like he is like the master of just like, 
you know, he, he got better very quickly because he could just watch things and, and do them. And he obviously yeah. worked very hard at the same time. But like there's just that like improvement ability that he had. Like I think he could kind of like just integrate himself in a different way. And I don't know, maybe Giannis didn't necessarily want that. Like he seems so much more just like about his family. That's why I'm actually like, I plug it again. I'm really excited to read Mirren's book and actually learn more about the guy. Because like I really yeah. feel like as a result of all this stuff that we're talking about, you're we more don't fascinated really know- by him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and we don't really know a lot about him as as a person, other than the fact that he is like family oriented, loyal, and dedicated. Uh, yeah. But there isn't, you know, I don't. Why is Giannis the way that he is? Like that's just a story that, like, because of all this stuff, because we haven't known him forever, we just don't know. Yeah, Jokic she reminds me of Jokic in that regard. I yeah, mean, how much do you know about Jokic? You know, mm-hmm. and that guy's been unbelievable. He was the, you know, this this MVP, and I mean, when he kept saying. You know, I I think that's nice. Like, I really don't know if he really cared the way somebody here who grew up in the U.S. and played AU and talked about it all the time. I don't know. Maybe there is something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's like these pillars, right? Like you grow up with the idea. Like I can kind of see it with with, uh, you know, the way that, for example, prom, right? Canadians, we don't have prom. Don't care about prom. Don't know what it is. Like we know what it is. Oh, it's it's you're so lucky. School. It's a nice so old, lucky. Uh, but, huge like, win TV for you. Shows and stuff, right. Yeah. yeah. But huge win. like for 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 an, for a high school athlete like you know like making the all-star team making the all-nba team all these individual accolades mvps like w- like and then like even on the smaller level mcdonald's all-american and just like getting invited to this tournament and that tournament and who are you competing against and like you've got these probably grudges that you've built from a very young age and those are like i mean it's just different you're like you've been part of the culture you're just way more influenced by it i think it's just only natural obviously there are exceptions to that as you said jackie but it's just like that the environment i think just would naturally have it have its toll on anybody right like just he didn't grow up with those flagpoles of like this is what i'm gonna you know be when i grow up you know what it reminds me of jackie when uh when we finally had a red sox team that had the stones to fend off the curse and win the world series and they were yes. lovingly called the idiots. And it was yes. either these guys that were just immune to everything because they were all lunatics or guys not born in America who could, like Manny Ramirez didn't care what a curse was. He's not from here. He was like, right. They yeah. were the same thing. And we had all these guys that just, you know, the 86 team, which came within one strike of winning the World Series 13 times, it had like the catcher was from Worcester. Like he got it. He understood the oh, matter boy, pressure. did he get it. Yeah. yeah and I wonder like- get with, it? Giannis is like, these are moments where the the player that grew up here and watched the finals his whole life would be like, oh my God, we're about to choke against the Nets and they don't have Kyrie and they have Harden on one leg and I can't believe it. And you're just thinking about it for two days. The yeah. stuff, the way stuff's bounced off him has been amazing. Like the free throw thing, like his attitude about being a relatively shitty free thrower but yet being able to make 13 to 17 in a finals game. I don't know. I, I admire a lot about the guy. He's really won me over the last couple of months. Yeah. You just hope he doesn't get spoiled, right? You just hope, hope, hope he doesn't get spoiled. Cause you remember so many of these guys when they first come into the league and how young they are and how wide they are and how much, how joyful they are and how much fun they are to talk with. And then success happens. And then more importantly, disappointment happens because that's when they get jaded because why don't they love me all the time? And that's all, you know, and that's the thing about Giannis. That's pretty cool. There's been a lot of disappointment early on here and a lot of questioning and, and that rolls off his back too. Mm -hmm. The opposite end of, end of that with similar results as Devin Booker, right? Like, 
guy who has been steeped in NBA culture pretty much like from the moment he was born is like not only like the unique thing about Booker is not only that did he love playing basketball, but he also loved basketball history and like really cared about who was in the NBA and like who how how they navigated it. And he's talked about things like, you know, studying the playoffs and stuff. Um, and ironically with him, I feel like the knowledge of all of that has actually helped him. Like, I think we've all talked about how he's not surprised by anything. Right. Like he just for, for a guy in his first playoffs, like, I don't know, you guys have obviously been around. Have you seen anybody go from like being on a team that just didn't really do much of anything to making his first playoffs to being in the finals and like being this this poised. I don't really think I've seen it before. And I think it's like he said something like after after they beat the Lakers in six that like they didn't want it to go to seven because he studied before and he knows what happens when you go to seven. And like obviously like, you know, anything can happen in a game seven. But um yeah, there are just a, a lot of moments in these playoffs where it feels like he's just He's been there before, but it's by like being aware of other people's stories. Um, yeah, I want to keep that point, but we got to take a quick break. But I want to talk more about Booker. Jackie, Booker was one of those guys that even when he was a young pup, the other players seemed to know that he had it. Right. Um, yeah. Which I always enjoy. They kind of they can kind of sniff them out. It's like the it's like the Tatum. chefs. Tatum's Tatum's yeah, Tatum, one of them. Tatum's another one. Jesus yeah, it's Tatum. like. It's, it's like when the those, chefs yep. know who the other up and coming chefs are. They just kind of have a sense for it. Um, I thought the shot making, Russell and I talked about it last night. The the array of shots that he was making last night um, was really unique. And the guy I was bringing up was Andrew Tony, where oh, the it was not a lot of threes, right? But it was just this array and, and you spread the floor a little bit for him. You could put any type of guy on him and he's just getting the shot he wants. And it's so rare to see two guards like that. We obviously have Jordan and Kobe and, you know, there's right, a couple other, right. but the list is, I actually made the list last night and it was less than 10. I did not huh. think, I did not think he would get there immediately. I'm a seared. I thought usually you have to have the taste, you get your feet wet, you win a series. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just how basketball is now where you have Trey Young in the conference finals with his first taste and right, Booker yeah. all of a sudden no turning time. into Andrew Tony. They yeah. just sped up now. I don't get there's, it. What do you think about that? Yeah, there's just no time anymore, right? And the one thing these kids all grew up learning is, and we, we referenced it a little bit, I think, is just a positive self-talk. Like Trey Young, you mentioned Trey Young. He walked into the gym every day, convinced he was the best player, even when he wasn't most of the time. When he was a little kid, he's playing with high school kids. You know, he he met Kevin Durant because he lived in Oklahoma and his dad arranged him to meet Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant's like, oh, this is a nice little kid. I'm going to work out with him or whatever. And, and Trey Young was trying to destroy him. Now, he couldn't. He wasn't good enough. But he thought he was. That's what mattered. And I think I think Devin Booker's got a little bit of that in them. And I'm sure he had plenty of conversations with Kobe about that because we know that Kobe was like that. People always forget rookie Kobe really wasn't that successful. His teammates didn't believe in him. He took too many shots. You know, he wasn't there yet, but he thought he was there. And you weren't going to tell him differently. And I think that there's a little bit of that in Devin Booker. And I mean that in the most positive sense, that positive self-talk. And yeah, I can miss a lot of shots, but I can come back in the next quarter. Never mind the next day. I'll come back in the next quarter and I'm forget I'm going to forget all of that because that's what the great shooters do. The great scorers don't remember what happened five minutes ago. They don't remember how many shots they missed. It's irrelevant to them. And I think that's what Devin Booker's like. I think Bradley Beal is like that. I think there's other players like that too. 
Well, I remember when you wrote Be Legendary on Sirit's laptop a couple of years ago that meant a ton to her and really changed the course of the, her career. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, it was, I had the... I have the positive self-talk in the background. That's right good. Here. Oh. That's good. <laughs> there, there is a lot of like, I have noticed a lot of Kobe stuff, like the effect that he yeah. had on this generation of players, which obviously the media is playing up as much as they possibly can. But at the same time, it's a real thing. There's this entire 100%. generation of guys that really did seem like that was their guy. And I, I think I underestimated that in the moment that the kind of stranglehold that he had over all of these guys that came up right after him. Cause you would have thought LeBron was the guy, but it really did seem like Kobe was the guy for anyone. What? 22 to 32. Right. Well, he was holding these invitational camps, the Kobe camps. I mean, he would yeah. call, you'd get a call, you know, like Jamal Murray's working out in Kitchener, Ontario one day. And he gets this phone call from uh, Phil Handy, you know, who was an assistant with the Cleveland. He's, he's been everywhere with the Lakers. And he said, Hey, um, do you want to go do this thing with Kobe? And of course you say yes to that. And Devin Booker was there pretty sure same year. And so he'd have these in invitational camps and these guys would show up and he'd put them through drills and stuff, but he'd also put them through business classes and, uh, media consulting classes. He'd have, he'd have the actual media members go there on the sly and tell them what kind of tricks to look for. Like, so Kobe was grooming these guys to be the next Kobe's. And he was invested in that because I really believe because nobody would do that for Kobe when he started. All they did was make fun of him. You know, he's on a team with these older guys, Brian Shaw, um, of course, Shaq, some other Rick guys Fox. on that team, yeah. Rick Fox. And they're like, hey, kid, you don't get it. You know, I, one of the stories that um, I think it was Shaq that told me they used to rap on the bus. And Shaq, of course, was a platinum rapper. We can debate whether he deserved to be. He was. And so he'd be rapping on the bus. And Kobe just be sitting and listening. And then someone else would, they'd give you a, you know, rap about a boat. And then someone would start rapping. And then Kobe comes back, you know, a week later and they're rapping on the bus. And Kobe has this perfect rap that he starts doing, you know, and all the words rhyme. And they're all like, yo, kid, that's not how we do it here. You don't go home and practice. And he's going, right. no, no, it's off the dome. It's off the dome. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So like this kid was constantly trying to fit in, but he was 17, 18 years old with all these guys that were in their twenties, he couldn't go drink with them. He couldn't go party with them. And I don't think they, Kobe was that big on that anyway. And, you know, some of them were married with families or had, you know, multiple girlfriends or whatever. And Kobe just couldn't find his way. And I think when he retired and started looking about the league and paying it forward, I think he decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give these guys a pathway that I didn't have. I'm going to show them how it's done. I'm going to give them all my secrets. I'm going to tell them all my secrets. The two Olympic teams, I think were helped too. Cause he was, playing with all these guys who were in their formative, making the leap moment right. of their careers. And he was yeah. like the old guy. But mm -hmm. what were we going to say, Sarah? I just think, I just think that's a really good point because like I've been, I've been kind of thinking about why it is that Kobe seems to appeal to, to so many of these young players. Um, and I think that like, obviously there were other great players at the time, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're my age, you're probably rooting for LeBron or Kobe at some point. And, I think like the thing that appeals to like elite athletes about a guy like Kobe is exactly that. It's just like his willingness to let you in on on this journey because like I think if you're that driven and you do something that is in the public eye and as unique as the NBA is, like it just has to be an incredibly lonely existence. Like even 
even among your peer group. Like you'll hear NBA players say that like no one else really understands them. And then I think if you're even on that higher echelon or that if, if that's a place that you want to get to, like being able to have somebody that's actually been a- been willing to share their story about it. Like that's just I mean, that just has to be really big when you are probably just not you're probably just not getting that anywhere else. Do you? Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted because I'm watching Andrew Tony highlights. Oh, Jesus. Oh, he puts, I, uh, oh, he puts up 30, 39 points and six assists on the Celtics in, uh, oh, yeah. in the 90, 1982 that's playoffs. They, that's that's why actually they the first. Them. I wasn't trolling. That's actually the first one that came up. Well, of course. <laughs> so, you know, Andrew Tony, it's a sad story. Sorry. Like he, he was amazing. He was lethal, deadly. And then he had some injuries and he had, he had some foot problems. And the Sixers kind of didn't believe him. And so his career just sort of came to a very sad close because he was hurt and they didn't believe he was hurt and they wanted him to play. And it just ended so sadly. One of the, well, his career is basically like if Devin Booker's career was over a year from now and you're like, wow, what happened? Devin Booker's career is over. He was, he was the go-to scorer on a team that had Moses Barkley and, and doc. And he was the guy they went to in the last five minutes and then he had foot problems and that was it. But it was like a six year run. So sad. I mean, he was, he got the nickname of a, of a famous murderer in Boston. That was how good yeah. he was against the Celtics. Salvatore. What's his name? Something Salvatore. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, the can't Boston Strangler. I can't remember. Right. But anyway. Yeah, I actually did a story with Andrew Tony at the end. I, I, I pursued it for several years because I had, I was a very young writer when he started, you know, when that was happening. I, I joined the Globe in 1982. Like I was watching this going, wow. And then he, like you said, in an instant he was gone and I kept thinking, what happened? Where is he? And I used to ask Barkley about him because Barkley loved him and Barkley stuck up for him. Barkley said, no, you got to understand this is real. He's really hurt. You know, this is crazy. And um, anyway, I did finally track him down. It took me a while. I think Barkley put in a word for me, but I don't know if you can ever find it. But I, I did a story with Andrew Tony. It was one of the saddest stories I ever wrote. Oh, really? How the Sixers really let him down. Yeah, the Sixers really let him down, man. They really let him down. The organization, yeah. not the players. Organization. Sarah, quick boring backstory. The Celtics come back from 3 1 in the 81 Eastern Finals, and which is probably the greatest series of all time. Come back, they win he's, game he's five. He's not biased, Sarah. I'm not, he's biased, not biased, at biased at all. Five, six, and seven. They all come back from big leads. Game six turns because Maxwell fights a sixer and the sixer fan in the stand. Like it's just amazing. Get sued. So, get sued. <laughs> yeah. A year later, 1982, same scenario. They're up 3-1. We win five. We win six. Game seven is back in Boston. People are dressed like ghosts. Everyone's like, we're going, we're going to play the Lakers in the finals. It's fine. And then Tony murders everybody. He murders the Celtics. He murders the crowd. It's just, he completely demolished us and Philly wins. It goes to the finals. So that's how, but it was like watching Booker last night where these guys that can, and it's, I'm telling you, it's a list less than 10. These guys that can get in the zone at that position and you're just helpless. Holiday was all over him on some of those plays. Yeah, it just it it didn't matter at all. It was crazy. Vinny Johnson. Vinny Johnson's the other one. Vinny Johnson could do it. Not for the same, not with no, the we, same regularity, but he was pretty awesome too. And his nickname was the microwave. He was right. unbelievable also because he could heat up so fast off the, so he was on all those great Pistons teams. But Booker is, more talented than both of those guys. Although, I mean, maybe we'll never know about Andrew Tony, but Booker is, he's so clever in the way he does things. And that's why I, I'm, I feel like I'm coming back around to Chris Paul again, because the one thing Chris Paul was doing up until all these injuries, he had guys on skates. 
he was handling the ball in such a way. He was stopping, yeah. starting, pulling it back, and guys were flopping all over the place. And he was getting the separation he needed to hit a jump, an open jump shot. Watch him now. He can't do it right now. Now, I don't know why that is. It's got, I, I hate to not give Drew Holiday all the credit in the world because as great as he was on Chris Paul, then when Devin Booker got hot, he switched on to Devin Booker and did a really good job on him too. And by the way, can I just point out what a good job Devin Booker is doing defensively, which gets mm. lost in all this sauce. He's been very good defensively. Go back and watch a little bit. Anyway. I mean, yeah, they gave they gave him eight fouls. So you know. yeah, when yeah, you have eight you fouls, go. you can really work a lot of magic. Siri, yeah, this is <laughs> this is a weird series. Game five Saturday night is weird. Just has yeah. that sense Ugh. of like there's going to be some strange hero, right? Like where we had like. I don't know, Spurs Pistons in 05 that became the Robert Horry game. Sometimes this will happen in game fives. It will be one of the guys who's not the best player in the game. Who would be your pick if you could pick a rando and it's not Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Middleton, Holiday, or Giannis? Out of everybody left on the table, is there a rando hero for game five that you could see? So, I mean, the Sun, the Suns have a bunch of candidates that go from pretty much every every good role player they have. I don't even know if you want to call these guys role players, but in the same way that Lopez needs to be unlocked, like, let's let's get Aiton some looks. Uh, one thing on the shot charts, because you mentioned them earlier, I was looking through them, and I was just kind of wondering how there was ever going to be a way out for Phoenix, because they shot 54% from mid-range yesterday, and they only got 18% of their shots at the rim. Uh, the Bucks got 38% of their shots at the rim, and they were cold from the three-point line. That's untenable in terms of just obviously if you get outshot by 15, which is what ended up happening, that skews things a little bit. But yeah, that's just not tenable. Like they need to get easy baskets. I think like just going to not just the Aiton pick and roll, uh, because I think like it's like what Chris Paul said, like there's only so many ways that you can do a, uh, do a pick and roll. Like I feel like. There are only so many ways that they can be defended too, and I think Giannis is starting to figure out all of the different ways that they that they run pick and rolls with uh, with Aiton, and uh, I think that they need to get him going a little bit more in the post, and I think you can do that with honestly kind of everybody down the line uh, with the Suns, especially if they head back onto the road again. Obviously, we're not talking about that game, but yeah, I think I think the Suns have a ton of candidates, but I'm gonna go with Aiton because. He's probably the best player out of the guys that 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 uh, that I'm allowed to pick. Yeah, and he's also the one most due for like a really obvious explosion that just hasn't happened yet because of the way that the way that the Suns play. What do you think, Jackie? So I think there are more candidates for what you're asking on the Suns than there are on the Bucks because Connaughton has had. I thought Connaughton was great last night. You know, he, he made some huge. really great plays, but his huge is whatever he whatever he had eight points nine rebounds. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. So I'll just, I'm going to go a little different here. And I'm going to say that Monty Williams understands that Cameron Payne needs more minutes and that Cameron Payne can get some shots off and can score in transition. And you're going to have to take away some minutes from Chris Paul if he continues to struggle. So I'm, 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 I guess in a lot of ways, I'm predicting that Chris Paul is going to continue to struggle and, um, and that Monty's going to look at Cameron Payne and say, okay, we're going to give you a shot at this. I like that one. I think campaign has it in him too. I'm going with Lopez because I still feel like it's a seven game series. Maybe you want to try different things, show some different looks. But he's one that I feel like they can steal for a six minute stretch where he can score like 12 points in six minutes, something like that, especially get 2008 yeah. and whatever. Um, if you're talking about the top five guys, 
I, Drew will do this twice a series where he'll just have a really awesome two-way game. I don't know if he can do it on the road, but, you know, I think about that game he played, the game six he had against Atlanta, where he was just electric right. on both sides, right? right? He was just yeah. really, really great, and really ate up the Hawks. I do think he has that in him, and he's coming off a four for 20. He said three days to think yeah. about it. And I don't know that I could see him, you know, if you're going to be like, who do we name this game after, after it's over, I could see it being the Drew Holiday game. That would be my dark horse but, for but out of the that, top five. But isn't that a lot to ask when you're asking him to guard Chris Paul and guard Devin Booker the minute Devin Booker gets too hot for anybody else to guard? Maybe. Like, if I'm the, if I'm the Bucks, I'll take Drew Holiday's two-way defense on the two best players his sons have. And if you can score me some points, I would really appreciate that. But I'm pretty sure I can get that other places. I'd like to. I like the shots he had. It's he was four yeah. for twenty, but I kind of liked all the shots he took. He just he, they were going sideways. But don't you they feel were, like? But but don't you feel when he's taking him? Sometimes he's like, oh, I hope it goes in. Instead of like Devin Booker was like, give me this motherfucker. Yeah. It's going in. You know, right? Like yeah, I, that's I always true. feel like Drew's like, oh man, I hope it's going in because like when you hope it's going in. You've already dropped your percentages down. Th it's like 30% less of a chance it goes in. If you That's think fair. it's going in, uh, you know, so. Drew also, he puts himself in, in a position where, unlike Middleton, I feel like Middleton, like Booker, like Chris Paul, knows where his spots are on pick and roll. And I think Drew is kind of taking what the defense gives him. And I think that just, that just puts the Suns defense, especially Aiton, but I mean, they're all kind of, they're conservative and deceptive. You know, they want you to take low percentage shots. So they're going to try to goad you into those. Um, and with Drew going the route of, okay, let's, he's kind of just seeing how much closer he can get to the rim, essentially. <laughs> and that's just a great way I to like miss layups over DeAndre Ayton. Like, yeah. essentially, that's kind of, that's kind of what's been happening to him all series, as opposed to like, you know, Middleton just being a little bit more methodical. But I agree with Jackie, honestly. I just think he's doing a lot. This is seven, this is like gonna go six at least. It might go seven. I think you wanna use him to just try to wear down Chris Paul and Booker and whatever you can get from him, like consider it a bonus. But honestly, like it's like what you said, Jackie. Like when you have when you have that type of mentality or shooting stroke or whatever you want to call it, um, maybe it's just a moment of self-doubt, like whatever it is you can't guarantee that that guy is always going to be consistent. Like, I don't really necessarily like want to be running that much stuff for him. Um, honestly, I would lean, if, if you need to, I'd lean even more heavily on Middleton and pick and roll. Like, I feel like that's a big reason they also didn't turn the ball over very much. Um, he yeah. was just, he was just really good at it. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know. I just, I just feel like Drew Holiday deserves a bit of a defense. I get that he's not shooting well and everybody is, kind of focused on that but it's just he's doing so much like full court press in the nba finals for a whole game yeah, like just exactly. try like you know try squatting down that low for like for like five seconds you know <laughs> like for me five seconds but like it's just yeah it's 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 really incredible and he's also he's creating a ton of points with his steals like he's he's creating good offense for them it's just not in the way that you know a chris paul or a booker or a middleton does it sounds like Sirit still has him in line for finals MVP potentially with two big games. Maybe sneak. I had a, he was nine to one before the finals, but it does oh, seem man. like it's Giannis or Booker now, the way this series is yeah, playing out. Yeah. Those would be yeah. your two candidates. Hey, you know how some folks are quick to doubt the rookies or even understate their excellence during playoff season? Make no mistake. This is their time to shine and show out with career defining moments on that court. 
Here's a famous one. I'm going to go way back for you. Thinking about overlooked rookies. Um, Tommy Heinsohn, who passed away recently. Uh, legendary Celtics announcer. Hall of Famer. Really great underrated player. But as a rookie, 1957 Celtics. The Celtics had never won the title. It goes to a game seven against the St. Louis Hawks. Bob Cousy's terrible. Bob Cousy goes two for 20. Can't make a shot. You got Bill Russell. He's a rookie. Not totally an offensive player. He only scores 19. Uh, they need a hero. And who's the hero? Holy Cross own Tommy Heinsohn, rookie. Puts up 37 points and 23 rebounds. 17 for 33. Um, was awesome. And then fouls out in double OT. What happens in this game? Goes to double OT. Heinsohn fouls out. Famous shot of him crying on the sidelines. Can't believe he fouled out, but the Celtics end up winning the game in the last minute. They win by two. He gets carried off the court. There's a famous photo of him. Uh, all these people surrounding him. It's one of the great rookie moments of all times in the finals. You heard about Magic in 1980. You've heard about some other ones, but I think that was the first great one. And that's a wrap. Just like these rookies, like Tommy Heights had one on the court. You can win with your insurance by getting the personalized service of a local agent all for a surprisingly great rate with State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, it's we're going to go soon, so let's, let's do predictions. So we have hmm. Game 5 Saturday in Phoenix. We have Game 6 Tuesday in Milwaukee. And then Game 7 two days later. In uh, in Phoenix, I I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think Milwaukee is going to win in six. I can't put my finger on it. It's this weird gut basketball. Having watched a lot of playoffs in my life, they just seem like the more athletic. They have more options if the game gets ugly. They have two guys that I trust to at least be able to create offense for themselves or somebody else, and the Chris Paul thing. I just don't see him miraculously looking awesome for game five. I think there's, this is real wear and tear stuff for a guy who's 37 years old, who's played, you know, two seasons in the course of a year and a half, who was playing 37, 38 minutes a game the last few rounds, who was carrying a big burden and has multiple injuries. It's not like it's like, a, you know, oh, my hammy's a little tight. It seems like he's got a hand thing. I think he's got leg stuff. Shoulder, I don't think he's, he's got a, that shoulder thing. I just don't think he looked like the same guy remotely. I know what Holiday was doing for him. But um, as you said, he had people on a yo-yo, Jackie. And yeah. it just doesn't seem like he's that guy anymore. And I don't see it coming back in 72 hours. I agree. I agree. So I Milwaukee, think, Milwaukee's my pick. What do you have? I've changed my mind. I, I also picked Milwaukee and, and, and again because it just Chris Paul wouldn't like do you remember the last time he's had a layup? Yeesh. You know, not what he does best anyway at this point of his career, but penetration. There's a lot and, and I want to pick on Chris Paul because the only reason the Suns are here is because of Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. Should make that very, very, very clear. It's just I think, as you say, he's dealing with a lot. And I also think and and because we have covered a lot of these. You also sense a moment when a player is about to separate himself from everybody else. And that's what's happening with Giannis right now. He is entering that stratosphere of not just great NBA players, but NBA icons. You know, Jabbar and Oscar were watching the game the other night. And it's like, 
here you go, son. We got a seat right here for you at the table. We're right. just waiting for you. That's what it feels like to me. That's how I feel as well. What do you think, Sarah? Uh, I'm I'm hanging on just barely to my sons and seven pick. Mm. I I've thought about this for a while, um, and I think going back and and looking at a little bit of game one and two, um, there are there is a progressive solving that Milwaukee has done of of the Suns' offense, but at the same time, there there were moments in game game one and two that resembled the opposite of what we saw in the last two games. And I think both of these teams, when they're at home, they can just make the other team look horrible, honestly. Like, it's kind of like... Yeah, you, they can. Have you, have you guys seen The Office? Yes. Yeah, are you kidding? Um, okay, just making sure. Um, so do you remember oh, this, yeah. uh, the, the, the stress relief episode uh, where Dwight uh, creates like a fake fire so that he can do a fire drill <laughs> and then Stanley ends up having a heart attack. It's like the best, right. it's like the best stretch of, of comedy television right. ever. But like yeah. I was, I was watching, I was watching it after one of the games and it just like, I, I felt like there was a similarity there with like the way that the Bucks pile on on defense and the way that the Suns pile on on offense, like when they're in their half court, like obviously there was that game to play with like 11 passes, but basically there's just like, it almost gets like a little bit extra where they're just like, they're just trying to overwhelm everyone else. Like where, you know, I remember like Dwight, you know, first he, first he gets it going, then he rings a fire alarm, then he starts yelling and shouting and like everything is bad. And then he's still, he's still following everybody around and saying like, do you remember your exit points? Like, oh, make sure you don't touch the, touch the handle. Like he keeps upping the ante when, even though it is very clear that the people involved are already appropriately frazzled at this point. Like you can, you can take it to the cup, Dwight, but like that, that, that is essentially like both these teams do that to each other. Um, And I think, I I don't think the Suns, like these teams now know each other well enough that they probably, it probably won't be like that again, at least consistently. Um, But I just, I just don't really necessarily trust the Bucks defense to travel the way that the way that I played it at home. So I'm taking the Suns and Suns and seven and uh, taking game five. Suns and seven. That what was I don't plan. It's not a bad pick. I'll tell you the the thing that one thing about the Suns that I just keep seeing over and over, even when they lose, they're they're still pretty cohesive, right? They all kind of have they know what to do, and all these young guys, Bridges, and I know Bridges hasn't, you know, hasn't played well since that his big game. But Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, all these guys, they just they know what to do. They know where to be. They they play well together. Like that's the only thing about the Bucks that would give me a little pause is sometimes you watch them and you're like, these parts don't fit the way the Suns parts fit. That's the only reason I would give the Suns hope, you know? I've I've thought about that in like kind of two different ways, I guess. Like after after game one, um, Monty Williams said something along the lines of like, you know, we studied how the Bucks played after they lost game one against the Hawks. And like, we kind of knew the physicality would be coming. We knew that Giannis would be coming at us hard, that they'd be crashing the boards. And like, we knew we had to weather the storm, essentially. The defense would be tighter and all the other things that we saw, um, which to me, that suggests that they probably studied the net series. Um, and this the last two games for the Bucks have played out exactly like the net series has almost uh, with the game three was just like, it was amazing how much congruency there was. Like there was like Chris Middleton getting going early just by getting him touches. Uh, there was, you know, Giannis just having an incredible performance and Bobby Portis even getting off. Like I think the Drew Holiday third quarter, like a lot, a lot of different things, a lot of adjustments that, that Bud made too. Um, which is to say like, I totally believe that the Suns were prepared uh but the Bucks did it anyways so 
that's kind of like the line I'm at right now. Is it like not a good sign? Yeah, I don't. Maybe, maybe, but it it can also speak to like they'll be ready for stuff in the future as well. So you just, I don't know. It's it's hard to look at the stuff in the middle of the series and really, you can't like draw definitive conclusions a lot of the times about what it means. Well, you figure the two things Phoenix are going to have to address, and I'm sure these will be the two things they work on, is no fast break points off of their misses. They're going to shut that down, even if they have to give up offensive rebounds. Everybody gets back. Nobody beats us down down court would be one. And then the other thing is, how do we get more corner threes? Because that's our bread and butter. And Milwaukee has taken that away. So how do we get that back? I think if Phoenix wins... My my non-hero guy to watch would be Cam Johnson because I feel like he's very close to having like a Cam Johnson game where he just has like 30 points and hits seven threes and does seems pretty fearless athletically. That's the kind of guy you want as the finals. What yeah. happens, the longer the finals goes, it just gets more and more tense. The games get uglier and uglier. They're less well played and you kind of have these one or two random guys who just aren't afraid of it. And right. I think he's their guy for that. Um, I don't know if he'll do it, yeah. but that would be the guy I picked. Right. The other thing is, don't forget about the turnovers. They can't, if the Suns want to win, they have to be in single digits in turnovers. Yeah. They just do. And they're not, and they haven't been. So, Hey, that's the only way to pre- prevent those layups, too. Because, yeah, like, that's it. What, what, are you, that's what are you going to do when Drew Holiday has a running start because you just spoke the ball out of your hands? Well, like, that's not one, where you're playing any defense. Right. In game one, the reason the Suns won so easy, everyone's like, well, the Bucks didn't have any transition points because the Suns didn't miss any shots. <laughs> it's kind of hard to run off, off made shots. So, before we go, do we have a Ben Simmons destination yet, Jackie? <sighs> oh, deep breath. I'll, this is, I'm already well, excited. This is great. No, because I just, I just, you know, I know, I know Daryl and I know he's looking for the best possible guy. So he's probably called Portland 14 times already because he wants Lillard. You just know he does. And I'm not speaking. I haven't talked to Daryl about this at all. I'm just, it's just me being a pop psychologist. So does that make sense? I've seen the Sacramento stuff. Uh, it makes sense for a team that's not in a big market to take on Ben Simmons in that contract, right? That makes some sense. So that's why you hear Minnesota, Sacramento, all those teams, that makes some sense. But wouldn't it be just sexy and crazy if Dame Lillard ended up in Philly? I would love that. Well, how would you feel if you're a Portland fan, though? You'd be like, really? We got the guy who just went 25 for 74 and free throws in the playoffs? Well, you'd have to... Yeah, and the problem is, I don't know what this... And I should know this. I don't know what... The Sixers have in terms of picks. I think they're out of picks, right? Aren't the Sixers low on no, picks? They, I think they, they have. Are. So, they have some. They have Literally. a couple. So you, yeah. They have so maybe you have to. Maybe you have to. Maybe you have to throw in someone like Maxi or, or Matisse Thibel or something like that to make it happen. What I've heard is that Daryl has been. Daryl's been obviously yeah. he calls everybody and pretends he's calling about somebody else, and then it steers to Simmons. But I think he's just going around asking for the best player on everyone's team. And of then, course, I would. And then Why he's going to circle back and then it'll get realistic. But for now, it's you go around and you, you just... Would you take De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons? <sighs> I mean, I would I, I, w- I would do it if I was Philly in two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would do that if I was the Kings, though. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I'd just bring up De'Aaron Fox, but, but De'Aaron Fox has some of the issues that Ben Simmons has, not all of them. He's the difference between De'Aaron Fox and Ben Simmons is De'Aaron Sox, Fox takes shots and misses, and Ben doesn't take shots and misses, right? How how are they how are they similar? 
I just think Darren Fox, I think he's a terrific player, but I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. And I don't know about his, do you think he's a great three-point shooter? Do you think he's a guy that's a knockdown three-point shooter? No. So, I mean, if I'm the Sixers, maybe I, maybe I want one or two players that aren't superstars like Ben Simmons, but I just need to take Joel Embiid and surround him with as much goodness and perimeter shooting as I possibly can. And I, and I can't give up, if I take, if I give up Ben Simmons, he's an all-world defender. He really is. So I also have to get some defense back. That's why I wouldn't put Thibel in a deal because you got you to gotta be able to defend still. But their problem is offense. Don't we agree, Philly? Their problem is not stopping people. It's scoring. I wonder you if Levine... Uh, mm-hmm. No, I... No, I, no, I Levine, Levine, that's... I wonder if Levine is, ends up being the focal point of whatever package. And honestly, I don't know who has more value between Simmons and Levine. I don't know who would have to throw in something on that one. Yeah, they have opposite issues, right? Opposite yeah. issues. I mean, I like well, I mean, a lot. Wh- which could turn into not even being an issue in the right place. Right. Yeah, true. I was impressed watching, as you know, I love terrible international basketball. I watched the first two American games. Zach Levine was actually being asked to be kind of a defensive stopper uh-huh. as much as the... And he was committed to it and then trying to play defense. So it was mixed results, but... Um, I do yeah. think there's, I do think he, the thing I like about him is he's gotten better every year the last couple of years, right? Yes. Where Simmons is the same and guy really, he was four years ago. And you know what else? He's gotten better every year in a situation that has been downright deplorable. Yeah. It really has been. And he's, he's another guy that's kept his mouth shut, you know, just gone about his business, played hard. I like Zach Levine a lot. He's also never played on a good team. Yeah. Yeah. Like ever. And like not even just like a regular run of your mill and NBA franchise. Like he has just been carried from disaster to disaster, coach to coach. You have uh, any Golden State so the, intel, Jackie? On that, on Ben on, Simmons, I do not. No, no, on seven, I, number seven, number fourteen, Wiseman, oh, oh. like all the shit that they can possibly do stuff with. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense to me. Am I the only one that that doesn't make sense? I would keep all of it. You? I would keep all of it and take players and try so to build I. a team. So yeah. would I. So would I. Especially, especially right now, like rookies have never been better. Like you kind of see that this is like actually a pretty tenable combination to have like young players with uh, with older players, given you choose the right guys, and you have an amazing draft coming up. So I think you can probably retool. Yeah, I agree. And, and, I and, also think- we, uh, and we don't know. We don't know what Wiseman is yet. We don't know. No. no. We so, just did. We just had this whole discussion about what Giannis looked like in his second year, and it wasn't this, yeah. right? Or how about DeAndre Ayton? DeAndre Ayton. Everybody's laughing at the Suns for taking DeAndre Ayton. They're not laughing now. Ayton has made me way more hesitant to give up Wiseman. Um, I also yeah. people keep talking about the Curry window. To me, he's like a quarterback. He's might as well be Rodgers or Brady. Like I, the Curry window Allen. to me is ten more. It's ten more years. What, what are we talking he's Ray about? Allen. What do we no, think he's going to be a role player two years from now? He's going to be great when he's thirty-eight. Yeah, he's Ray Allen. He really is because we historically. I remember when the Celtics trade for Ray Allen all those years ago. I had all these stats ready about why it was the worst move they ever made because how two guards fall off a cliff at a certain age and they don't just like roll off; they fall off. And I had all this data. And, and I remember talking to Ray about it. He's like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. Because people don't do what I do to get to how I became. And I feel the same way about Steph Curry. Takes care of himself, has a regiment, you know, mentally prepared at all times. Yeah. Well, you left out like you. 
slight dash of OCD, which I think you need when you're, especially at that position to just like the same patterns over and over again, day after day after day, which becomes second nature. Yeah. Rondo. Rondo's another OCD guy. There's a bunch of them in the league. By the way, Sarah, before we go, I forgot to ask you about Giannis's hyperventilating because I became fascinated by it. Like he would be so worked up in the first four minutes of these finals games that they have to take him out so he calms down. I know you've investigated this. I haven't. I haven't yet. But I think it's just kind of part and parcel with everything else that we've learned about Giannis, right? Like, just he has so much energy in these moments. Like, I I don't know. It's his first finals. He's probably just super amped up. He said he needed to pee. I think that there might be like, well, he said he needed to tinkle. And I feel like I tinkle. shouldn't misquote him on here. <laughs> um, but he said he needed Another to tinkle. Another reason we love Giannis. And, yeah. 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 Um, he, he, uh, I imagine maybe there's like an adrenaline rush that that happens that perhaps, you know, causes certain movements to happen and and, and that could be it. But yeah, it's just you got to watch these you got to watch these press conferences, Bill. With Giannis, they're good. I'm in. I'm they're in good. for the you next get, one. Like, I got to say, yeah. when you're talking about emotional, I just won the championship reactions. There's a lot of like wild cards on the table this year because Chris Paul, God only knows what's going to happen with him. If Giannis yeah, won, right. I don't I don't know what will happen with him. What kind of emotional yeah. outpouring with him and his brother. Like it's, there's some exciting moments. Yeah. But you mentioned the the hyperventilation. I mean, you know that Doc Rivers never ran a play for Kevin Garnett in the first five minutes right. of any game because of the same thing. He was so amped up that he said, if I gave, if I ran a play for him, he would have shattered the backboard. I think there's a lot of guys like that who are just yeah. so riled up with those motors, you know, that they need to just ease their way into the game. Yeah, maybe, maybe not Ben Simmons. Um, okay. Jackie, Probably you, not. you working on any pieces for ESPN.com? What's going on over in the Jackie Empire? I'm a, I'm working on a very long term thing that I I so I'm being coy, but I really I will tell you more when I can. I can't tell you right now. Okay. How's all right. That? So you're working on something. That's yeah. all we need to know. Sirit, you already long told term. us one yeah. piece. Hopefully you didn't give the idea away and um that's no, fine. And we can find you on right. Ringer NBA your, show your secrets, as well. Your, secret, your secrets are safe with me, <laughs> I promise. Um, and everybody else that's listening. <laughs> great to see both of you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, very yeah, excited for fun. Game 5. Really fun finals. And uh, I'm glad we did this. Thank you. All right, that's it for the podcast. I was going to do some baseball stuff here at the end, a little baseball preview. I was excited for Yankees, Red Sox, and then the Yankees had a COVID situation. And, uh, you know, we have no baseball series. We have no Yankees Red Sox series. I was so excited for the Red Sox to win all four games and go 10 and 0 for the season against the Yankees and make fun of my friends and uh, John Jastrzemski uh, and, and Jacko and just, just kill them about how the Red Sox were going to sweep the Yankees and go 19 and 0 this year. But now I don't know what happens to those games. Uh, that was a bummer. That was my plan today. I was going to watch Red Sox Yankees. But uh, instead we did this podcast. It was produced by Kyle Creighton. We'll be back on Sunday night with another one. We'll, we will know what happened in game five of the finals. And we will also have the end of the open and a couple other things. So I will see you on Sunday night.